Uh, I have been a part of Brian's life for a long time. Where Brian was, I ended up later. That's not going to happen here. I just want you to be aware of that, okay? <laughs> That's not where we're going next. Um, but I, I am so glad that God is continuing to work in Brian's life and moving with him. If you have your Bible or your mobile device with you, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 today. Luke chapter 2. We're going to be towards the end of that chapter. Uh, after the announcement of Jesus' birth and all those wonderful things that happened. Um, and so we're going to be talking about that. Uh, we'll, also, we'll also be... That, that screen's like facing me. Is that how that's supposed to work? No, it's okay if it is. All right, I, 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 just, I just looked over there and went, oh, wow, hey, I'll just look at that screen the whole time. As always, I'll throw everything up on the screens for you so you can follow along with me that way. Uh, at the same time. Uh, just real quick, just a reminder, right after worship today, we're going to have a meeting, and uh, I'm going to fill you in on some things that are going on, and how God's going to continue to work and move uh, in this congregation and in Hope Church, and, and how he is uh, working through that. Man, I, I, uh, Lorenzo, where, where are you, Lorenzo? Did you disappear already? Okay, he was right there. He's gone. I love what he said. Same team, same king. Man, that is some great stuff. I, my heart was full right here in this moment as you were praying for Faith Bridge. Because I think this is where we sometimes fail to realize that we are not in competition with other congregations. You know who we're in competition with, right? We're in competition with the one who wants to deceive and destroy and the one who wants to drive us to separate who we are, the unity that we have in Christ. And, and that's all the devil is trying to do. So I appreciate that you are now praying for all of these other partners in ministry because you are also participating in what we call Missio Dei. Everybody say Missio Dei. All right, we're going to learn some Latin here today, okay? I, I know some of you know other languages. I don't. I know this, actually, these two words in Latin. That's all I know. All right, Missio Dei. Say Missio Dei. That's right. It means the mission of God. That's what we participate in, the mission of God. Um, how many of you like construction zones? Anybody, anybody here like that? No? No, I, I, they are the bane of my... You do like construction zones. Really? Why? What? Oh, yeah, I see, you got all spiritual on me. I like it. I like it, I do. No, I, aside from that, because she's very right, and we're actually, that's where we're going next, so good job. I mean, I like that. Um, I, they're the bane of my travel existence, right? I, I, my travel commutes are, live in construct. I do not like riding in cars. I just don't. If I can help it, I, I'm not a slow driver. Um, I want to get from point A to point B as fast as I possibly can. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a fast driver, but, you know, I'm somewhere in between that. And then I hit a construction zone like this, and I get so irritated because now I'm really slow. Now I'm like, oh, I've got to stay in this car even longer. I used, to live, I used to live in Orlando, and if you've ever driven I-4 in Orlando, you know the mess that construction is in Orlando. I... I we quickly forget about these construction zones when our, when our commute improves, though, don't we? Like, you had a horrible construction zone up here where they had the, where the new um, uh, express lanes are now. I, and, and to the airport, by the way, I hate that construction zone, too, right? But, but when those have disappeared, 
we go, wow, this is great. Like personally, I love the I-4 express lanes in Orlando now because now I'm getting through all of that tourist traffic because tourists don't know where they're going. And so I'm getting through all of that tourist traffic now and I absolutely love that. Well, like my friend over here said though, our relationship with God is a lot like a construction zone. It, necessary, a little frustrating, sometimes it seems to take forever but in the end, because of growth, in the end, we are better off and excited about what God did. Right? And so here's what I want you to remember as we go through the rest of what we're going to talk about today. That God is always at work around you. He is using each moment, hear me when I say each moment in your life, to build you up and help you be the person that he's designed you to be. He, he wants a strong connection with you and wants you to help others have a strong connection with him. So, so, so in other words, God has ordained your moments and your days so that you can participate in his mission. And this is so important for us because I think sometimes we think our lives are just a series of planned events. But our lives are more than just these planned events that happen throughout our time. This is where we're going to pick up the story here in Luke chapter 2. And if you've grown up in the church, you're familiar with this story. It's, uh, it's, it's when Jesus had to go to Jerusalem. Here's what it says. It says, Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival. Oh, by the way, again, if you see highlighted words, I like it when you talk back to me. So if you see highlighted words, you're going to say those words. All right, so uh, when Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival. How? As usual, right? Our story here that we're about to dig into, it starts off fairly mundane, right? This is, Jesus' family was doing something they normally did. That's what they were doing. They attended the yearly Passover festival. And so for Jesus' family to do this, the journey was actually a big undertaking. If you look here at this map, um, it's about 90 miles by road to get from, uh, to get to Jerusalem, from Nazareth to Jerusalem. You have to kind of go around it a little bit. Today, that's only about an hour and a half trip. We can do that, and, and it's a piece of cake, right? But, but back then, they didn't have horsepower, did they? <laughs> they had donkeys. Right, so, so, so this kind of trip back then involved a significant commitment of time and money. It was about a three-day round-trip travel and a week of food and lodging in Jerusalem to do this regular thing. Yet, this was the expected thing to do. Now, if you know anything about Jewish culture, you would know that Jesus turning 12 meant that it was time for his bar mitzvah. Right, and the bar mitzvah is this ceremony to celebrate passage into adulthood. It's a Jewish term that means son or subject, subject to the law. It means that Jesus would be expected to know the difference between right and wrong. Do you remember your 12-year-old self? Ugh. Gross. Right? Oh, he's a cute kid, though. That's me, by the way. I was, I, I, was a, I was a catcher for about a year. Um, yeah. But, but my 12-year-old self also had some pain and some anguish and, and ugh, gross, right? I don't think any of us want to go back and relive seventh grade. 
Because those times, though rough though, were some of the most formative, important times of our lives. Which brings me back to this main point. Our lives are not lived as a series of planned events, but with purpose and activity that guides and shapes us into who God designed us to be. See how, see how Jesus' family did this? Right? Sometimes our journey takes us on paths we wish we'd have never walked. I, I, sometimes we go through those things, either by our own making or by someone else's doing. We go along these paths and we wish we'd never walked these paths. Or sometimes our journey is filled with amazing moments that we celebrate for the rest of our lives. Yet every moment is an opportunity for God to do His work in and through us. That's what Romans 8, 28 is all about. And we know that God causes everything to what? All right, let's try again. You're, you're with me here, all right? And we know that God causes everything to what? That's right. For the good of those who love God and are called according to? Oh, that's a big word. Those two words right there are big, aren't they? His purposes for them. Like he's working out each moment of our life for his purpose. And so I don't want you to mistake coincidence for providence. All right, coincidence, you know what coincidence is. It's, it's considered a remarkable occurrence or concurrence of events or circumstances without any apparent casual connection. Um, there's no purpose with coincidence. Now, personally, I think there are moments of coincidences in our life. Like, um, for instance, if if all of a sudden we were to see each other at Publix. I, I think that's a coincidence, right? You just happened to be there when I was there. I, I, without de detracting from the omniscience of God, we sometimes experience life just because it's a moment that God allows as a part of our free will. All right, so there, there is some coincidence. But providence is something else. Providence is the foreseeing care and guidance of God over the creatures of the earth. In other words, God ordained that moment. He predestined what we are going to experience. And personally, I think we experience God's providence far more than coincidences. See, God has set this universe in motion. He has a desired plan for each of our lives. I, I like to say it like this, that you are born with a purpose and for a purpose. Right? This is who we are, and, and he has created us with a divine design so that throughout our days, he is establishing opportunities for us to participate in his mission. Because what you do every minute of every day matters. There's no such thing as this secular, sacred dichotomy. There isn't a church you or a work you, or a friendship you, or a school you, or a spouse you, or a private you, right? You are you in every place you occupy. Think about that for a second. Like right now, you're occupy occupying a chair. You are you in that chair, and nobody else is occupying that chair, are they? Right? You are you in every... If you were to get up and move to a different chair, you're still you in that chair, aren't you? We cannot separate our lives and leave portions of our lives in different places. Oh, let me, let me say this again, because that, to me, is one of the most important things we could hear right now. 
you cannot leave your Christianity inside this building. Oh, that's not how I said it earlier. Okay, sorry. We cannot separate our lives and leave different portions of our lives somewhere. You cannot leave your Christianity inside your house. You cannot leave your connection with Jesus inside your workplace. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to say it one more way. You bring your relationship with Jesus with you to the grocery store. Yeah, yeah. Even when that person in front of you has 12 items in the 10 item checkout. Oh, so irritating. Here's how, here's how the Apostle Paul wrote this. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Oh, come on, right, just for a second. Think about who you are. Think about what you are. That God, in his wisdom and his desire, felt that you and who you are is worthy to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives where? in you and was given to you by God. So everywhere we go, we bring the temple of the Holy Spirit with us. Everywhere we go, we bring his power to make a difference in this world, to bring hope to this world, and to connect people with God. And I want you to know this because what happens in the mundane is that routines, they create a lack of of awareness. When you just go through life, and I get it, I, I mean, I, I've driven on autopilot before. Have you ever driven on autopilot? Right? Driving on autopilot. I mean, I, I drive to work on autopilot. What's worse is that, is, that, is that I'll get into the car attempting to go somewhere else, and because you're on autopilot, what happens? You take the same turns that you usually take, and you're going the wrong direction now. And usually it happens when we're late, huh? <laughs> Look how it happened here with Jesus and his family. Luke 2, 30, 43. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, as usual. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. <laughs> I like this. His parents didn't miss him at first because they what? You know what that does to us. All right, that he was among the other, other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, wow, that was a long time to wait, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends, and when they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. You ever watch the movie Home Alone? Yeah. Yeah, for those of you who don't know about this movie, it's a, it's a large family that leaves behind their youngest child when they go on Christmas vacation in Paris. Now, you may have a youngest child that you're like, yeah, I'm leaving them behind all the time, but... Um, but basically the movie goes like this, hilarity ensues, robbers are foiled, parents return home, and everyone lives happily ever after. <laughs> and this movie's plot seems so ridiculous, doesn't it? I mean, how can a family leave a house, ride all the way to the airport, board a plane, and then midway over the Atlantic Ocean realize that a child has gone missing? I mean, who does that? I do that. Right, many of us have done that, if we're honest, right? Maybe not to the extent of the movie, because it is, a, you know, hyperbole, right? But I've lost my child in a department store before, have you? 
or on the playground or at an amusement park, right? This happens. I, here's one of my favorite stories I've ever told. Um, I just started at Palm Coast Bible Church as the lead pastor, and we're doing, we're doing these gatherings after worship, and, and it's, a, it's a kind of a meet the pastor type of thing, and I'm sitting on a stool, and there's a bunch of people in the cafe area, and they're asking me questions, and I'm responding to them, and all of a sudden, I hear this ruckus behind me, just people walking back and forth. I'm like, all right, well, you know, whatever, they don't care about me, I don't care. Um, and so, and so I'm, I'm just, I'm not paying a whole lot of attention, I'm answering questions, but they keep going, they keep going. And, all, and my oldest daughter comes up to me and she whispers in my ear. And again, she's about 14 at the time. She, um, she whispers in my ear. She goes, hey, we can't find Annabelle. I've been in this congregation three weeks at this point. Annabelle's my middle child. Annabelle is my happy child, right? She loves playing games, loves doing stuff. She is also, at this time, my seven-year-old child, okay? So I can't find, she goes, we can't find Annabelle. I said, okay, we're looking for her. Okay, you keep looking for her, that's, that's great. I'm gonna, keep, I'm gonna keep talking to these people, right? So, so I keep talking. They're not having any fun. They're not having any good luck looking for her. About 10 minutes into them looking for her, I decide, all right, it's time for me to get up. I searched the entire property. We have a lake outside of that property. I went down to the lake with fear and anxiety that my daughter was face down in the lake. We're coming back. I am this close. I, I have my phone out, and I'm this close to calling 911, thinking somebody's abducted my child now. I walk in to the church building. I'm about to hit dial, and all of a sudden, we hear giggling from the lobby area. I'm looking around. I'm like, get, get. She was playing hide-and-go-seek. <laughs> she was underneath a chair. Like, like all the kids were playing hide-and-go-seek. Problem is, is all the kids stopped playing hide-and-go-seek, and she didn't know they weren't finished. Right? I lost my child at church. Oh, how horrible am I? Right, so, so I understand what Mary and Joseph were going through in this moment. And so to their credit... Because church is a normal thing, right? Church is something I do usually. I'm the pastor of this church. So to their credit, the routine nature of traveling to the Passover festival would have left them unconcerned that Jesus wasn't with them. Because they've traveled this before. They've done this before. They've had family and friends who also looked after their children before. And... They just got done with Jesus doing the bar mitzvah, so now he can take care of himself, can't he? Because he's an adult. And I, and I got to wonder, why did Luke choose to put this story in there? Because the, this gospel has a very interesting beginning in the first two very long chapters of Luke. The chapters start off with three angel visitations, a miraculous pronouncement. There's songs in the birth of the Savior of the world, and yet it concludes with this story of a very mundane story of humanity. The family lost their child. Could it be that Luke was showing us that what happens during the routine moments of our lives are ordained by God? 
how, how in the midst of our humanity we can be blind to what's most important. There, there's a, there's a, a Bible study that if you grew up with the church or you know, if you're as old as I am, you've, you've done this Bible study before. It's called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. And it's an incredible Bible study. And, and he has this line. You'll go back one slide. He has this line. It says, when you see that God is working somewhere, that is your invitation to join him. Hmm. When you see that God is working somewhere, that is your invitation to join him. That instead of saying, woe is me, I never know what I'm supposed to do, I'm just going through this life, doing the same old, same old, we must remember that God established our lives with purpose and uses our daily routine to accomplish that purpose. As I told you before, God created each person with his mission in mind. And because he created us with his mission in mind, he paid a priceless amount so that we would connect with him and do amazing things. That's what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6. You do not belong to yourself. <laughs> oh, that's, that's hard for a proud person like me. You do not belong to yourself. For God did what? Bought you with a high price. And here's the thing. The atonement, that's what we talk about. That's, that's the bind, that's the death and resurrection of Jesus. The atonement is so much more than just giving us a final destination when our time on earth is over. We like to think salvation is for heaven. Uh -huh. The atonement makes sure that our time on earth is the richest and most satisfying time that we can possibly experience. To limit the death and resurrection of Jesus to only be about our future is to sabotage and ignore that Jesus lives today, right now, in each of us. You belong to God. You gain all of the benefits of being God's. You have access to the rich and satisfying life in Jesus. You are equipped with the power to overcome all things that this crazy world throws at you. But there is a higher, more excellent plan for your life. You are raised out of darkness to be light in a world that desperately needs to know that the, all the things that you know about the rich and satisfying life, your life is purchased by God so that it can be used to carry out Missio Dei. Everybody say Missio Dei. Missio. Right? That's the mission of God, isn't it? To unleash the power of God in this world. So what are you going to do about all this? You're going to look for opportunities to pursue God. Check, check out how Jesus did this. All right, so, so three days later, right, because round trip, remember? Three days, takes round trip, three days. They lost Jesus three days ahead of time, okay? Jesus is just hanging out, a 12-year-old boy just hanging out. Here's what's happened. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders, uh, teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard Jesus were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And his parents, because <laughs> Jesus is a 12-year-old boy, right? So his parents are going, I don't know what to think about this, right? So his mom did what moms do. Son, his mother said to him, 
why have you done this to us, right? If you're a parent, you've done that to your child. It was your fault you lost the child, but you blamed the child anyway, didn't you? Yep, I, I get it, right? Why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. But Jesus, at 12 years old, had the right response. But why did you need to search? Keep in mind, he's an adult now. Why did you need to search? Didn't you know that I what? Hmm. must be in my father's house. But they didn't understand what he meant. Uh, Lorenzo, he shared this passage this morning, Psalm uh, 27, and I really like, um, I really like what he said about uh, being in his father's house, right? So if you, if you were to look at this Psalm 27, hold on, I just had it here. Um, it says right here in Psalm 27, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the one thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. Now you have to understand the imagery that's used right here because it's not a literal house. We have literal houses, we live in literal houses. When, whenever scripture uses this imagery of the house, it's not about a building, it's not about brick and mortar, it's about presence. When Jesus says, I must go to my father's house and prepare a place for you, right? He, he's not talking about a building, although, I mean, I'm looking forward to having a, a cool building up in heaven when I get there, but he's not really talking about, he's talking about presence. So Jesus is basically saying in this moment, when he says, I must be in my father's house, he's saying, I must be in my father's presence. That the one thing I ask for is that all the days of my life, I may dwell in my father's house, that I may be in my father's presence. And did you notice how Jesus redirected this conversation? Mary said, your father and I were searching. But Jesus says, my father knows right where I am. Did you hear that? My father knows right where I am. Jesus knew he had a special relationship with his heavenly father, and this led him to be discussing the things of God in his father's house. He was moving forward with God's mission. I really like that phrase, I must something I have to do. He said it like this in Luke 4, 43. He replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because that is why I was sent. That's his purpose, right? You see that? Or, or, or go on to Luke 9, 22, when he starts talking about what we're going to be celebrating here in a month and a half, right? The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things, he said. He will be rejected by the elders and the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. Church, here, here's what I want you to know. If you are going to succeed at life and accomplish everything God has for you to accomplish, I, I would even say it like this. If, if we're going to go into the next chapter of the story of Hope Community Church, right? If we're going to do this, then you need to resolve. You need to declare 
I must be about my father's business and be the best you can be right now in your current situation. The Apostle Paul wrote it like this, Philippians 4, 12 through 13. For I know, what does it say? How to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or an empty, with plenty or with little. For I can do through Christ who gives me strength. I can get up here and be this excited about what I'm telling you because I know this to be true, that God has a plan for you. And maybe God has given you a glimpse into the future about that plan. Maybe you can see it and you're like, yeah, I have a vision, I have an idea, a dream of what you'll be accomplishing in the future. Maybe you haven't received any information about your future. All you know is that this is where you are right now, and you aren't privy to what God has in store for you next. So whether you know the future or not, the most important thing you can do is to focus on accomplishing Missio Day in the here and now. <laughs> this is that great phrase, carpe diem, right? I, I told you I was going to only have you do two Latin words. Well, here's two more. Carpe diem. Everybody knows those words, right? Seize the day, right? Today is the day that God wants to use you to change the world, to introduce hope where there was hopelessness, to bring healing where there is brokenness, to shine a light and push back the darkness on oppression and on those who need to come out of that darkness, to share the rich and satisfying life with those who are living a dull and unfulfilling life. You see, there's nothing wrong with looking toward the future but we should never be absent from the present. Be successful with your station in life today and allow your present to propel you to what is next. And that's hard for people like me because that means I need to embrace times of preparation. Look how our story ends today. This is Luke 2, 51 through 42, or 52, 51 and 52. It says, then Jesus returned to Nazareth with his parents and was obedient to them. <laughs> That's good. A 12-year-old boy, obedient to his parents. That's what we need. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. And then I love what it says next. Jesus did what? Grew. Grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. This Greek word that's used for grew right here, it it actually translates to advancing against obstacles. <laughs> See, I, I look at this, and as this verse attests, Jesus did not spring fully formed from the womb, right? You know, the, he, he just wasn't an adult straight from the womb, right? He, he grew. And here we see that Jesus, at age 12, is coming to grips with his identity and with his calling, and he is advancing against obstacles. He had a strong sense of mission from an early age. But then Luke chapter 3 happens. 
Right? We, we, don't even, we don't even have a lot of chapters in between, do we? Luke chapter 3 says this, Jesus was about 33 years old when he began his public ministry. What, what happened? What happened to those 21 years? I want to know. Scripture's silent on those. He's silent. Scripture is silent on what those years of growing up were. And in all of the ancient uh, documents, all the documents for antiquity, we, we don't have any indication of a boy wonder. I, I, think about your 12-year-old self again, okay? Wouldn't you do something with all that power? Yeah, I would. Especially when I was getting bullied for being four eyes. Yeah. But Jesus has no indication of being boy wonder. He's got, he's got nothing that says anything about any miracles. Scripture says nothing about miracles. I mean, it's possible that Jesus didn't release any of his divinity upon the world until he began his public ministry. All we know for sure is that Jesus kept advancing during those early years. And then now I think as a parent, right, if I'm marrying Joseph, I, I know that I have got God incarnate as my son, which scares me. I mean, it just scares me. But, but think about the faithfulness of Joseph and Mary during these years. There's nothing that's said other than they continued to raise Jesus a mundane activity. They knew he was the Messiah. They, they probably had to overcome many moments of doubts and second-guessing, especially because he was perfect and didn't do anything wrong. Well, I mean, because he's God. But what Jesus, Mary, and Joseph do during the first 30 years of Jesus' life is that they faithfully fulfilled God's mission through everyday routines of their lives. They prepared for the next step. They gained wisdom and they remained, I like what scripture says here, they remained in the favor of God. Many of us, we can't wait for what's next. Could be a promotion could be a relationship, could be going to college or graduating from college, it, it could be moving, it could be retirement, right? We can't wait for that. But sometimes not waiting is what gets us into trouble, <laughs> right? I mean, you, you know this if you have debt, because you couldn't wait. Maybe it gets us in the wrong marriage or in the wrong career or just in the wrong state. We can be pretty impatient people, especially when things aren't going to our plan. So we tend to take things into our own hands and do what we think we should do. We rush ahead, trying to fulfill potential only to ignore present responsibilities. And we forget the importance of process in accomplishing our purposes. You see, today's focus equips you for tomorrow's opportunity. The calling of God on one's life is almost always involves a season of preparation 
and waiting. So here's what I'm going to tell you as we close up today. Keep doing what you're doing. And let God accomplish his mission through you. The Apostle Paul, he wrote it like this, Colossians 3.17. And whatever you or do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Hope Church, God has called you to something great. You and I, the church, flesh and blood, can make an impact for eternity. And many of us are going to take huge strides on the face of this earth. And with each step, you are going to change the world forever. But whether your strides take you to places you've never been before, or your strides are in this community helping to change lives, God wants to do amazing things through you as you participate in his mission. He's giving you purpose, even in what you might think are the mundane moments of your life right now. So it starts by being the best you can be right now. Let God's process prepare you for what's next. Be a success in this moment, and don't get ahead of where God is taking you. Because here's what else I know to be true. Because God says this through the prophet Isaiah. Those who what? Oh, we're going to say that word again because we don't like that word, so I want to make sure we say that word again. But those who upon God get fresh. Right, we like that word, so I'm going to say that one again too. Upon God get fresh. They spread their wings and soar like eagles. They run and don't get tired. They walk and don't lag behind. Let's pray together, church. God. All right, God, I got to tell you right now, I'm, I'm feeling this one. This morning as I was looking over the message again and, and this week as I was preparing it, I, I can't believe how much you are speaking this to me, God. Because, because to be quite honest, I, I want to rush ahead. I want to move faster than I think we're currently moving. And when that happens, God, <laughs> I, I lose my dependency upon you. Jesus didn't rush. He said, I must be in my Father's presence. I must be resolved to do what my Father has me do. Will you help us to be more like that, Jesus? Will you help us to see that these, what we might consider mundane moments of our lives, they're not really moments. But truly, God, that these are moments that you are ordaining. That you are preparing us for the greatness that you have for us. And not because we deserve to be great, but because you have put in us a purpose by which we are to participate in your mission. So help us today, God. 
to be the people that wait upon you and find our strength to participate in your mission and advance your kingdom. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.